the medical field is ripe for threat actors trying to take advantage of things. Much like when, you know, it's tax time and you hear the latest IRS scam, that goes on a lot within the medical field. There are impersonators, threat actors that impersonate DEA agents to try to gain access to everything from uh, DEA numbers to prescription pads. Visiting the FBI uh, website, there's a, you know, they have a page dedicated to different scams out there. And, you know, there's a couple that live sort of persistently on, in healthcare that we make that we make sure our clinician side is aware of. Welcome to the Reimagining Cyber Podcast, where we share short and to the point perspectives on the cyber landscape. It's all about engaging yet casual conversations on what organizations are doing to reimagine their cyber programs while ensuring their business objectives are top priority. With my co-host, Stan Wisseman, Head of Security Strategist, I'm Rob Borrego, Chief Security Strategist, and this is Reimagining Cyber. So Stan, who do we have joining us for this episode? Rob, our guest today is Louis Lerman, who is currently serving as VP and CISO of Pediatrics Medical Group. Lewis has an extensive information security background um, with broad familiarity with a variety of different industry sectors. Um, In addition to healthcare, Lewis has supported government defense, education, software development, financial sectors. In fact, prior to pediatrics, he served as the CISO of the Deloitte Consulting Group here in the U.S. and also served as information security officer at the International Monetary Fund. Lewis, it's great to have you with us today. Is there anything else you'd like to share with your background with our listeners? Uh, no, it's, it's, you know, it's great to be here. Uh, you about summed up my background. <laughs> I mean, we, I guess we got to know each other at Booz Allen years and years ago and had a chance to interact with you again at IMF and, and, and it's great to have you on board. I, I know we, you have a lot of different touch points with these different sectors, but we want to focus obviously on healthcare, given your current role. And, uh, one aspect of this is obviously how the healthcare sector has had to evolve given the pandemic, right? Um, it's, it's, it significantly altered the, the status quo. And in some ways it accelerated, right? Some of the trends, the, the use of telemedicine, uh, remote care, and you know, how they can leverage cloud services more effectively. Uh, some clinical innovations have occurred. And I guess one of the questions I have for you is as, as health systems and hospitals have adapted to this new reality. Do you have examples of how cybersecurity has enabled these kind of uh, evolving changes to occur and do it in a secure fashion? Absolutely. I think you, you, know, you, you raise a good point, Stan. Uh, you know, like every industry out there, healthcare especially had to evolve during the pandemic, moving to not only a remote workforce for sort of corporate users that are involved in healthcare like myself, but our frontline workers, our clinical workers, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, uh, telehealth became a, a big thing. Um, doctors obviously live and breathe by you know examining their patients for the most part. In a very simplistic sort of way of saying it, you know, having that interpersonal interaction with them, being able to touch, to to see, to observe, you know, everything, especially you know, in the in the in the sector that we're in, in pediatrics revolving around, you know, women and children, uh, you know, a clinician being able to be in person with a, you know, a baby to take measurements, height, weight, uh, you know, head circumference. Those are, those are big things. And moving to a telehealth, uh, you know, paradigm was a big shift for us having to enable doctors 
to be able to sort of perform the same tasks, but in a, obviously in a very remote setting. Uh, and in some cases where the clinician, I've heard stories of clinicians, you know, instructing sort of the parents on how to take those measurements so that they can relay those, that information back to the doctor. They but in to, the end, right? you know, they probably had to do that because yeah. they, they weren't there yeah, to be able to do it themselves. It, yes. And especially a lot of our clinicians that are involved in such early stages of development of children, measurements are a very big part of, you know, a patient record, monitoring a child's growth, monitoring a child's weight, uh, you know, certain measurements that are kept tab on to make sure that the, you know, a child is developing at what you know, I, I would refer to as a normal rate of development mm-hmm. and, you know, enabling those clinicians in a remote setting obviously became a very uh, a big part of what we do, not only from security, but in IT in general. And, you know, one of the things that we look to do, you know, here, especially at pediatrics, we have undergone re-architecting sort of a internal application that we use to sort of keep record of all those measurements that we talked about from an old client server architecture, where a lot of our clinicians that are in, you know, either in office settings or in uh, hospital settings, you know, use this application to maintain some notes, um, being able to re-architect it from a client server architecture to a cloud-based architecture has helped with that remote work enablement. You know, being able to access it from wherever they are um, and keeping it secure, you know, has been a, a big effort, a big challenge for us. And on top of it, you know, we're, on, we're seeking uh, what's known as the high trust accreditation. So high trust is the sort of health equivalent of FedRAMP, if I may, um, where we undergo a third-party audit around this application that we use and we'll be able to test controls from an outside perspective, making sure that we're doing certain things uh, and that we have certain security posture enabled. And then once we're able to achieve that, we'll be able to fly that banner, which will help uh, enable that piece of the business to be able to go into different hospital settings, go into different partner settings and let them know that, hey, we've tested this you know, from a third party perspective because obviously no one wants to hear me say it's secure. They want to hear somebody else say it's secure. And knowing that we get that accreditation, uh, you know, it, it'll make it easier for us to go into the hospital, go into partner settings and use that system. So Lewis, uh, on that kind of thinking as it relates to the high trust certification that you, you've gone through the process of, you know, and, and you mentioned a bit about how it does serve as actually an enabler for pediatrics, right? And, and I'll take that a step back. So maybe you can kind of compare and contrast for the audience. What were you seeing maybe prior to some different services capability that your organization was delivering that maybe weren't high trust certified yet versus after the fact, right? This, it, I mean, I think that element of trust is the key portion of it is that the people on the other side of it, whether it's other third parties or the actual patient on the other end, have the understanding that there has been a third party in place to validate and verify that the security elements and control mechanisms, as you mentioned, are actually in place. So therefore, you should be able to trust that kind of communication and engagement with someone like pediatrics. But, but again, kind of, if you compare and contrast, like, you know, where there's certain services that 
you guys were not necessarily able to launch until it was high trust certified? Or how does that kind of work? Just so people understand it a little bit better. To be clear, like we were able to perform these services before. It's just mm-hmm. that every time we went to engage with a partner, for example, a core piece of our business is to provide services in hospitals, uh, NICU, PICU, neonatal um, services that contract that hospitals now uh, basically um, take bids on for different providers like us to do those services in a hospital setting. So this application that we use in the past, every time we partnered with a hospital group like HCA, you know, every time every individual hospital would come at us with, okay, you guys want to use this application? What's the security around it? And of course, their security team would come and want to do a full-fledged security assessment. And our team would have to kind of put together all these different answers, different uh, testing, uh, technical type testing to show that the security was there. And it would have to be done on a one-by-one basis. All this one-off, one-by-one work, where now we take that same sort of test that every hospital wanted to do. We put a wrapper on it from sort of a central testing thing, get a third party to do it, get this as its own, the high trust accreditation. So just to be clear, we're going, we're, we're taking this high trust journey now. So there's what I would consider three phases to it. There's a readiness assessment, which is sort of a drive through run of an actual audit that will identify certain gaps. And then there's the remediation phase where you remediate said the gaps identified. And then there's the audit phase. We're currently in phase two. So we're remediating some issues that were raised to a readiness review that we had done mm-hmm. to get us to a level where we'll be able to, you know, get the high trust accreditation and maintain it. You know, a lot of what we're going through is sort of policy and procedure type uh, remediation work. And then once we go through the audit, theoretically, we should be able to pass that audit and have the high trust accreditation. So now when we go back to these hospitals or, you know, to re-up a contract, or to win new work, we can go in saying, hey, we're high trust accredited. And that should eliminate those one-off audits. You just hit a key point, which is also, as you're going out to compete for new business, that really should serve as a key differentiator, right? I assume at some point, they actually eliminate some of the competition. Precisely. We are probably the largest provider of what we do. It will help to, to separate us further from our competition um, to show that, you know, look, pediatrics takes security seriously. You know, since I've joined two plus years ago, you know, I've been able to sell my program to my leadership and to get the investment needed to stand up to modernize, you know, the security program here at Pediatrics. Hey, Lewis, it may be related to this kind of high trust certification of services, but it may be distinct. I mean, I want to pivot to medical devices and how, you know, the medical device manufacturers and, and hospitals have a, a joint responsibility to try to protect these devices from threats, cybersecurity threats specifically, and they have to work together. But um, while there's that recognition of uh, shared responsibilities, um, there continues to be sometimes some finger pointing, right? Uh, as far as, you know, who has the responsibility in this case, or, you know, who does what um, as far as the protection. And and, and ultimately the, the danger is that the patient could could be impacted, right, by a cybersecurity attack on a device that may be outdated or unprotected. So 
what's your take on this? And is it also under that high tech, high trust kind of certification or is it distinct from that? It's distinct. Again, to further clarify, high trust is, think of it as for those out there in the, you know, listening that are in the government space, it's sort of like FedRAMP. FedRAMP mm-hmm. is a program, an accreditation that takes into account certain controls under, uh, you know, that, that government agencies can look to um, that are tested from an independent perspective. So for a simple example, all the major cloud providers, when you look at Google Cloud, Azure, which is Microsoft's offering, or Amazon Web Services, they all have FedRAMP tenants. So Fed, the FedRAMP tenant is accredited for use by the government, the non-DOD or the public service agencies. And they have, again, they have a, uh, they are part of the FedRAMP marketplace and government agencies can go in there knowing that they have been tested and that the controls are there to fit the security posture that they want. So that's what high trust, to me, that's what high trust is looking to do for medical or healthcare sector. It's, you know, when you look at the, you know, again, from this cloud perspective, they have most, they all have high trust tenants that you can go into that have a certain amount of level of control in there so that they should map to a security posture that a health organization is looking for. But it is distinct from Internet of Things, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. you know, the different medical device companies. I look at that as that's something that my, me and my team need to worry about. For example, dealing with some of the medical device manufacturers, medical device companies, you know, they implement security on their devices, on their software, whatever, from their perspective. And I would say a lot of times that that's, to me, it sort of comes comes in conflict with what I would consider um, the right security setting, or it's not what we would want to see. It needs to you think, be you think it's more, supplemented more open, with other controls. More, more open? I, I, think, that- I don't want to say more open. It's, it's just not the way I would do it, if, if that makes sense. Um, for example, like there's... Uh, there was a vendor we were dealing with where we want to change sort of how it, we architect it in our network. The way they do multi-factor authentication is they do it through email as a second factor. Well, to me, and I would say mm. most security practitioners out there, email is not a secure second factor mm. as authentication. Mm-hmm. So they do have it in their roadmap to integrate with different uh token providers such as like we such as like Microsoft Authenticator, Google Authenticator, you know, where you have a true second factor. Um, but it's, you know, we have to work with those vendors to sort of again use what they provide, but also layering on different security mechanisms so that brings it up to a more, what I would say a more rigorous standard in our environment. Rob and I had a chance to to speak to the product security manager or director at uh, Siemens for their healthcare related medical devices. And, you know, we were kind of impressed by what they're doing at Siemens, but I, I guess from your perspective, you don't know what each manufacturer is going to be doing, right? It, it's, it's. Well, and again, I, and I, I don't want to give the impression that they're not secure mm-hmm. because again, they are putting in security that they see from their perspective. And I say that because you have a, like, look at Siemens, like a massive organization they're building products that are used by hundreds of different healthcare companies. Right. Realistically, they can't build a hundred different security mechanisms into it. Right. right. They have to build their products with a certain architecture in mind, with a certain way of use in mind. 
Now, obviously, there's going to be organizations in there that want to do things a little different and want to try to do things, you know, whether it's from an architecture perspective on how that that product sits in that healthcare provider's uh, environment and how the different users interact with it. And that can cause challenges. And again, that's where I see like the challenge of where how we fit it into our sort of ecosystem and how the vendor intended it to be used. And sometimes those aren't the same. And that's where we as the security practitioners have to find a way to make it work and make it work securely. Got it. Yeah. And that makes sense, right? Because to your point, you know, they're, they're going to market with a specific capability and, you know, they have to service kind of at scale. But then when they're engaging with each of the different customers, you are self-included, you're providing them feedback. For the most part, they do take that feedback and like they try to take, you know, recommendations and put it into their product roadmap. Right. Right. No, that makes sense. Let, let me pivot a little bit, Lewis, and more so in the areas now of, you know, what we've been seeing around data breaches and ransomware and obviously challenges for everyone, but especially it's been challenging for the healthcare vertical as a whole. You know, in the past several years, we've seen a growing number of hospitals and healthcare organizations that have faced cyber attacks, interrupting the care and service, putting patients at risk. So that's a big, big concern, obviously. And you even mentioned it earlier around safety being a, a major element of the program to take into account. So... I want to get your perspective and kind of sharing again with everyone, you know, what are you seeing out there? What are some of the kind of key areas that, um, you know, whether it's specific to the way you look at it, or even as part of kind of the greater, you know, part of collaborating with uh, the ISACs and, and, and other people that come in and say, you know, these are the things that we're doing or the things that we should all be considering to do. Just kind of share what you're seeing out there that's helping make some positive movement in that direction of better securing and providing safety. Sure thing. So yeah, uh, great. Great question. You know, ransomware definitely top of mind when it comes to uh, you know vulnerabilities or exploits that are used by threat actors out there. Uh, I think for me, one of the key factors that I brought when I joined Pediatrics uh, was the creation of a, a, a cyber threat intelligence function. Mm-hmm. So one of the guys that I had on the team that I inherited, I identified as someone that I thought could fill that role in, in a good way. Uh, I proposed it to him and he accepted it and he has quite frankly run with it. Um, part of what he does is, you know, monitoring different threat feeds, different threat channels for information. We did join, as you mentioned, the ISAC. We joined the HISAC, the Healthcare Information Sharing Analysis Center, which we are active members of now and have been for the last two years. Um, we take part in sharing not only things that we're seeing, but definitely glean information from there on a regular basis. Um, we look to constantly pull, you know, the HISAC for different information. Uh, We use it as a valuable source of threat intelligence feed to feed into different uh, technical things that we're doing, whether it's with our SIM or our firewalls. And it is is a valuable, highly valuable source of information. Uh, One of the products that we put out to internal is a threat intelligence briefing that's done on a biweekly basis. And my threat intelligence officer has the purview to go out and, you know, send this to our executive team, as well as to our level one, level two management uh, layers, so that that information is shared from not just within IT, but also to the business as well, to make them aware of some of the things that we're doing, some of the things that we're seeing. And that intertwines and feeds into all different programs within pediatrics, from our awareness program to our patch management capability. Threat intelligence is is a high, uh, a very well received uh, effort and function here at pediatrics. So you're raising the visibility of some of these threat actors and their activities 
and campaigns and how they potentially could impact the organization and then also what you're doing about it. Absolutely. Because it's not just the pediatrics IT environment proper, but you know, it's a lot of like individuals, not just, you know, from IT or the CEO, but clinicians. The medical field is ripe for threat actors trying to take advantage of things. Much like when, you know, it's tax time and you hear the latest IRS scam, that goes on a lot within the medical field. There are impersonators, threat actors that impersonate DEA agents to try to gain access to everything from uh, DEA numbers to prescription pads. Visiting the FBI uh, website, there's a, you know, they have a page dedicated to different scams out there. And, you know, there's a couple that live sort of persistently on, in healthcare that we, make, that we make sure our clinician side is aware of. Um, so that they're, that they're, you know, educated on these types of calls that they may receive. Well, maybe, maybe related to some of these in, enhanced threats that have targeted the healthcare sector, you know, NIST has updated Skype cybersecurity guidance, um, for healthcare. And they have that new HIPAA security rule draft. I think it was released in July and the public comment period ended in October um, it's the NIST 866 yep. Revision 2. Have you had a chance to look that over? And, and do you have a perspective on this draft and, and the changes they're recommending? So I haven't had a chance to look that over, uh, but we do use NIST as our cybersecurity framework. Um, and with that revision, uh, we do want to sort of shift to specifically NIST 866 as our official framework that we use for risk management internally um, from an IT security perspective. Healthcare is definitely one of those things now that has attention, um, especially when you look at going back to ransomware, all the ransomware attacks right. uh, that have gotten out there. Earlier this year, we had the first death attributed to a ransomware attack. There was a hospital that fell victim to a ransomware attack, and they actually had to transfer patients out and unfortunately, one of the patients that they were transferring out, unfortunately, passed away. It is an unfortunate byproduct of what these attacks can do. And I think it's made people aware that it's more than just money. You know, we're dealing with people's lives. It interrupts the way in which you can do business and help provide care to patients. And in some cases, that could result in harm to these patients. You know, healthcare is one of the critical infrastructure uh, paradigms. You know, uh, when you look at the CISA, the Critical listing. Infrastructure Security mm-hmm. Agency, the listing healthcare is one of them. That goes to show it's not just, you know, power, you know, energy or, or nuclear. Healthcare is right up there as well. Well, again, to your point, right, it's, a, um, it's an element of safety. It's an element of reality with this example of human life being impacted, which, again, you know, anything critical infrastructure tends to kind of map back into, as you mentioned, if it's nuclear, if it's energy related, right? Th- those are all elements of what it can actually be as a major eye opener. It's unfortunate that that actually occurred as an incident. Hopefully people are moving our direction. It sounds like they are. Lewis, you came on and did a great job in explaining to us and the audience, I think, you know, of different elements, just in the short two and a half years you've been there, by the way, at pediatrics on the importance of high trust specific to the vertical around healthcare and what that means as a business enabler the elements of things that you're dealing with on a daily basis on, you know, the kind of new innovations around medical devices and where that's going. And also I love what you've done with the threat intelligence aspect of, you know, how you've actually operationalized it in your program. But reality is you've elevated it to the level where it needs to be understood 
at the executive tier with visibility, awareness as to these are the things that our teams are actually dealing with. This is what we feel it as, as an impact to us as operating our business and ensuring that they're well aware of it ahead of time, uh, as much as possible, of course. And uh, I think that visibility continues to strengthen the collaboration and partnership that you've been able to establish there, pediatrics with the, the executive tier. So great to hear all of that. We really appreciate you coming on and thank you again. Thank you very much. Thanks, Lewis. Thanks for listening to the Reimagining Cyber Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you would like to have us cover a specific topic of interest, feel free to reach out to us and you can find out how in the show notes. And don't forget to subscribe. This podcast was brought to you by CyberRes, a micro-focused line of business, where our mission is to deliver cyber resilience by engaging people, process, and technology to protect, detect, and evolve.